you so much for joining us today for worship. We're glad that you're here. Would you please stand as we come into a time of worship together? We are going to ask for the duration of our time uh, that you would just keep your mask on uh, just for the safety of everyone. And then when we come to communion, feel free to take that off. And then as we close, you can put that back on. We appreciate that. Uh, if there's anyone that's that's new with us uh, online or, or here in person, if you could text new to this number, uh, that way we could connect with you. We, we would uh, we'd love to do that. The same for the, those that are joining us online, if you could text your full name to this number. Let's worship together. You 
there's something up ahead Waterfall it like a song In everlasting stream Your river carries me home Let it flow, let it flow
please have a seat. Well, it's good to see you here today, Blue Springs Christian Church family. You know, it's November, so we start thinking about what are the things that we're grateful for, what are the things that we're thankful for. And, and I was thinking through that this week. Um, I, was, I was just very grateful for the generosity of our church family. Do uh, you know that we've been trying to collect some uh, food and, and uh, cash donations for Community Services League to be able to provide Thanksgiving dinner to, to families in our area who don't have it? And because of your generosity, uh, we are able to provide um, a, a full Thanksgiving dinner, a full meal for over 60 families uh, this Thanksgiving. Um, that's not 60 individuals, 60 families of four or more. So, yeah, thank you so much for that. If you're looking for ways to continue uh, to be uh, generous and, and help others out, uh, right now we are collecting uh, Christmas gifts for Show Me Christian Youth Home. You can find out how to do that uh, online. We're giving gifts to the kids and to the adults that are there, but you can go to our website and be able to find that under the events page. And pretty soon, in just a week or two, uh, we're going to have some information out about Adopt-A-Family, a uh, which is another way for us to provide uh, Christmas and, and a presence for those in our community who won't otherwise have an opportunity to have that. So uh, be checking our uh, website for those events, and, and we'll have some more details on that pretty soon. We do view our offering, our tithes, as an act of worship, as an act of uh, commitment, as an act of faith. And just want to remind you, you can uh, donate it in several different ways. You can put your offerings in the boxes here at the door. You can uh, mail a check in. You can go online. Or you can text GIVE uh, to the number that will be here on the screen. And uh, that number on the screen is actually one that we use for several different things. If you are new to Blue Springs Christian Church, uh, we would love for you to actually pull out your phone right now and text the word NEW to that number. Uh, that'll allow us to know uh, that we've got a, a new visitor and just give us a chance to contact you uh, with no pressure, but to be able to say we're, we're glad that you joined us there. And as you're watching us online, uh, we want to encourage you specifically to go ahead and text your name to that same number um, so that we can be able to know that you have been joining with us and uh, that we can be able to celebrate that as well. Tonight, uh, David Judd is uh, going to give us our message. He's going to bring that to us, and we continue in our series in James. And in two weeks, we will be starting our Advent series, Christmas, The Untold Story. So we look forward to that as well. But David will be here uh, right after this video. I am really glad to see everyone who is here, and I'm also very glad for those of you who are joining us online. I think you'll agree with me, this has been kind of a strange year. Um, and now as we have our numbers going up in the area and we have new restrictions, it's getting a little stranger. But um, I want to assure you that even though churches are exempt from the new Jackson County uh, restrictions, we actually already have been and continue to do everything that they're asking any open business to do and exceed them. We are keeping all of our... Um, 
Total mental blank on my words right there, but we are keeping our capacities in every room at less than 50%, not just here in the worship center, but in our children's rooms and in our student venue as well. We are cleaning everything. In fact, I want to give a shout out and thank you to all the volunteers, all the small group leaders who are going behind every event, every Bible study, and cleaning things. We even have a crew that comes in here after the 9.30 service on Sunday mornings that cleans all the chairs and all the doors, anything that's touched. Jim Erpelding leads that crew up. We have incredible people. We have our children's small group leaders. After every children's service, they clean everything in that room. And all of our children and student leaders are making sure that our kids are staying safe, that they're wearing their masks, and they're social distancing. And I really want to say thank you to those of you who are on campus who are doing such an incredible job at wearing masks and social distancing because when we do this, we are doing everything we can to keep our campus open. And I want to talk about masks for a minute because there's a lot of opinions about masks. And no matter what you think about masks, there's one thing everybody has in common. Nobody likes wearing them. Just, nobody does. You can't hear what somebody's saying. You can't see their face. I can tell you from personal experience, it feels really weird to walk into a bank wearing a mask. It's just not a good situation. But masks are something that a lot of people really believe we can all do to control the spread of the coronavirus. It's also currently the law, and we want to be good examples to our children and our community. But more importantly than any of that, when we all work together to wear masks, when we all work together to keep social distancing, to keep our church clean, we are creating a safe and welcoming environment where everyone can come together to worship, to see friends, and hopefully to grow closer to God. So I want to thank each and every one of you who choose to limit your personal freedoms in this way. Because when you do this, you are actually being part of the greater good. You're being a part of this fellowship. And in a very real way, you are honoring God. And you might think, well, how is wearing a mask honoring to God? Think about it. Every time you choose to put on a mask, you're choosing to put other people's needs in front of your own comfort, in front of your own desires even. And when you do that, you're putting other people first. And in a very real way, you are choosing to be humble. Which brings us to tonight, uh, today's message, because today we're looking at the entire fourth chapter of the book of James. And it's all about why God wants us to be humble and how we can be humble. So we're continuing our Don't Give Up series by looking at what James has to say about don't give up on being humble. Now, some kind of want to push back at being called humble, because let's face it, being humble kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Some people view it as being weak. And this was even worse back when James wrote this letter to the early Christians, because in the Greek and Roman culture that was the dominant culture at the time, humility was viewed as a weakness. In fact, some of the Greek philosophers that we hear about and read about in college would actually write and basically say that humility was for weak losers. It was just 
looked down upon. But God doesn't see things the same way that the world sees things. And in the Old Testament, humility was always attributed to God. And any time it was exhibited by somebody, they were praised. So the thing is, as much as God exhibits humility, as much as the Bible praises it, I think most of us struggle with humility. I know I struggle with being humble. And that was one of the reasons I was glad I was asked to do this message because it gave me the opportunity to really focus on humility for a while, which I always learn more in preparing a message than I think I'm actually able to give to you. But I think this is something we all struggle with. And so hopefully right now for the next few minutes we can look at humility and really see and learn why does God value it And how can we grow it in our lives? But first, let's see what humility is and what it isn't. First off, humility, according to Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary, humility is a freedom from arrogance that grows out of the recognition that all we have and are comes from God. Now, I really like this definition because it shows that humility comes out of our relationship with God, who we are, where we are, in relation to God. And I really think true humility grows in us when we do this. But now humility is also known in the world. The Merriam-Webster dictionary says that humble is not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. And my absolute favorite definition of humble or humility was done by the Christian writer C.S. Lewis who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less in other words it's not saying oh i'm nothing i'm nobody it's just not thinking about me so much and thinking about you and others and that's what true humility is and so today as we go through james chapter 4 we're going to see why god values humility we're going to see james four-step plan for building humility in our lives and then we're going to see some practical applications for humility in our lives. So let's just jump right in here with verse 1, where James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Keep in mind that as James is writing this, he is writing to an audience that is predominantly Jewish Christians in the first century. So here when he's talking about fights and quarrels, he is talking to Christians about fights that are within the church. Fights caused by pride because we want what we want and we want what we want for ourselves and for our own pleasure. Pride is basically putting ourselves first. And if you, you stop and think about it, pride really is the root of most, if not all, sins. Think about just greed and lust. When we are greedy for something, whether it's money or power or anything, we are greedy because we want more for ourselves. And when we lust after something, whether it's sex or food or drugs or anything 
it's always for our own pleasure. In fact, the word in the Greek that is used there for lust talks about hedonistic pleasures. And if you think back to the beginning of Genesis, pride was the very first sin. Pride was what got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Because God only gave Adam and Eve one rule. Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And when Satan came and lied to them, he didn't say, Oh, God was just joking. He said, No, you're not going to die. And if you eat it, you'll be like God. Because that's really what pride is. It's putting ourselves on God's throne. Putting ourselves at the center of the universe, but the center of the universe that God created and that we are a part of that creation. And when we have that much pride, when we're trying to put ourselves in God's place, we don't want to look to God and His values, so we look to the world and its values, <coughs> excuse me, because we don't want to listen to God. We want what we want for ourselves. We say that we have God as number one in our lives, but our lives don't show it. And James saw that. And James calls that out here in verse 4. All through this letter, James has been referring to the people he's writing to as brothers and sisters. But here in verse 4, he changes that up in a not a very nice way because he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, James's Jewish readers would immediately think about all the charges of unfaithfulness to God that God had leveled at their forefathers through the Old Testament prophets when the nation of Israel would follow idols instead of God. Now today, we don't really worry about idols made of wood or stone or metal. And we teach our kids that our modern-day idols are things like money and power and possessions and such as that. But I wonder. I wonder if our most common idol is ourselves. And I wonder if this is why we struggle so hard to be humble is because we really are worshiping ourselves. We really are trying to put ourselves on God's throne. And I wonder if this is the reason that God so much loves and values humility. James finishes this section of the chapter with a quote from Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 34. When he says, this is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, but I want to receive God's favor, not God's opposition. So let's take a look at what James says about growing humility in our lives. One of the things I most appreciate about James, one of the things I most appreciate about this entire letter that he has written is how incredibly practical it is and in these next three verses James gives us a four-step plan for building humility in our lives and it starts right at there verse 7 step 1 submit yourselves to God 
Now, this is probably the hardest step of the four steps because we tend to push back from submitting to anything or anyone. But when we do that, is that just pride? Submitting ourselves to God is foundational to being humble because it really is about recognizing who we are and where we are in relation to God. It's recognizing that God is our creator and we are his creation. It's recognizing that he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. But also recognizing that he made us to be like Jesus, to follow in his footsteps and to show the same humility and grace and forgiveness that Jesus showed. And when we recognize both God's authority as creator and his love as savior, I think it becomes much easier for us to submit to him. Especially as when we realize that God's love for us is what the, in the Bible, in the original Greek, would be referred to as an agape kind of love. A kind of love that wants what's best for the other person. And so when God loves us, he wants what is best for us. It's kind of like, I know my wife Anne loves me. And she really does want what's best for me. So when she says, David, I don't think you should do that. I know she has my best interests in mind. And I don't have a problem most of the time in submitting to her and listening to her and vice versa. If I say, Ann, I don't think that's a great idea. Most of the time she doesn't have a problem in submitting to me either. We are human. And just like all of y'all who are in marriages, you realize it ain't always 100%. But we're close. So I lost my place. So we start by submitting to God. But keep in mind, any time we do this, any time we submit to God, we're going to make the devil mad. Which brings us to step number two. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil wants to separate us from God. Which means he wants us to keep on sinning. He wants us to keep on being prideful. He wants us to not be humble. And he's going to do that by tricking us, by telling us lies. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, and lies are his native language. And so he is a good liar. And like any good liar, he knows to put just a little bit of truth in his lie, because that makes us bite on it. It makes us take the bait. And if we listen to the devil's lies, it's really hard to resist him. So how do we resist the devil's lies? We listen to God's truth instead. We fill our mind and our hearts with God's word, with God's truth. We allow God's quiet truth to literally drown out the devil's loud lies. And then, because we're human, because we're sinners, because we're weak, we get God's help. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, he writes, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Sometimes when I am really struggling with temptation 
when I'm having a hard time not listening to Satan's lies, I will literally pause and stop and pray on God's armor, just like Paul lines it out there in Ephesians chapter 6. I will ask God to belt his truth around me as a belt so that everything I say and do is hung on God's truth. I ask God to put the breastplate of righteousness on me to guard my heart and to guide my actions. I ask God to put fit my feet with the gospel of peace so that everywhere I go I will not only know God's peace but I will share God's peace. I ask God to put the helmet of salvation firmly on my head so that I will know that I am his that I was bought by a price. But also because in the first century, one of the main uses of helmets was not just to protect the head, but also to identify which army you were with. I want people to know that I belong to Jesus, that I claim God and I serve in his army. Then I ask God to help me to take up the shield of faith so that I can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one and to take up the sword of the spirit, God's holy word, so I can stand. Paul doesn't say attack. Paul doesn't say, take that hill. And even here in James, he talks about standing and resisting. God's already won the battle. Jesus did that on the cross. All we have to do is stand firm in God's truth, in God's grace. He's taking care of the hard part. So we stand. And when we stand in God's armor, and we resist the devil, he will flee. Which brings us to step number three. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This really may be the easiest step. I mean, it really is simple physics. If I want to be closer to you over here, all I have to do is move in this way. And if you got up and came closer to the stage, then we'd be even closer as long as, you know, we stayed six feet apart. You got to have social distancing, even in uh, sermon illustrations. This part is easy, but it does involve a choice. We have to choose to come close to God. God doesn't make any of us to draw near to him, doesn't make any of us come to him, but he does make it easy for us to come to him. When the Apostle Paul was in Athens and he was speaking to the, <coughs> excuse me, the Greek intellectuals and philosophers there on the hill where they all gathered and they liked to talk about ideas, they invited Paul to share with them these strange new ideas about the Jewish God. And Paul spoke to them at length. <clears throat> and then he said in Acts 17, 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. <clears throat> Mark, could you go get my water bottle off that ledge in the back, please? I'm sorry, I'm getting dry up here. I really do not have COVID, promise you. <clears throat> but boy, when you... Off into a microphone, it sure sounds that way. Sorry about that. My bad. Um, God, through his creation and his work in our lives, God makes himself known to us. Thank you, sir. Pardon me. God makes him know, himself known to us so that we can find him and we can seek him and we can 
know that he is true and that he is there, that he is here within us. So, but God is like every other friend that we have. We have to choose to make the effort. We have to choose whether or not we are going to make the effort to draw near to him. Whether we are going to spend time with God. Whether we are going to get to know God. Whether or not we are going to come near to God. But what we are promised here in James is if we make the choice to make the effort to come near to God, then he will come near to us. And being close to the creator of the universe has got to help us be humble and to stay in a right relationship with him. And that's going to build humility in us. Which brings us to step number four. Repent. It's just one word. It's not even a particularly big word. But it does have a big meaning. And while James does not use this word in this part of his book, he does cover up exactly what it means in, these, in the rest of verse 8 and in verse 9 when he says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now these words may not immediately bring the word repent to your mind, but to James's first century Jewish Christian listeners, they would immediately, when he said, wash your hands, they would immediately think about the purification rituals necessary for bringing a sacrifice to God. And that's what James is talking about here. He's talking about purification. He's talking about physical purification. Wash your hands. He's talking about spiritual purification. Purify your hearts. And when he says, you double-minded, that goes back to when he was talk, calling them adulterous people in verse 4. The last step of building humility in our lives is recognizing and repenting of our sins. In order to submit to God, to resist the devil, and to come near to God, we have to let go of those things and those practices that come between us and God, those things and those practices that are separating us from God. So we wash our hands and we get rid of our sinful attitudes, thoughts, and actions. After all, they're kind of like the coronavirus. We don't want them and they're not good for us. So we wash our hands spiritually of them. And we purify our hearts because we want our hearts to be pure and holy like the, as we focus on the one who is pure and holy, the one who makes us pure and holy through his sacrifice on the cross. And then there is the element of godly sorrow and repentance. So we grieve and we mourn and we wail. We trade our laughter for tears and we have a sober realization of the weight and the cost of our sins. For it was my sins and it was your sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. James then ends this section with rephrasing his quotation from the book of Proverbs. 
In this, you could really consider the theme verse for the fourth chapter. You could really consider it the theme verse and the main point to this message. Because James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, like so much of God's wisdom, this seems counterintuitive. And the fact that it seems counterintuitive to us may be more of a commentary on how different we are from God than anything else. But I want to be like God. And if you're listening to this message, I suspect you want to be like God too. So let's all work hard. Let's hold each other accountable to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, to come near to God and to repent. Because then we can truly be humble before God and he will lift us up. If you have questions about any of this or would like to talk to one of our ministers about any of this, if you would just text the word response to the number that's on the screens, one of our ministers will get back in touch with you soon. Now, before we wrap up here, I have homework for you. Both physical and virtual schools are doing homework now, and we can do it too, whether you're here or online. So I have some homework for you. There are two more paragraphs left in this fourth chapter, and this is the practical application that I mentioned before. Here at the end of this chapter, James is showing us how to live out our humility in our daily lives. So verses 11 and 12 are all about how we talk and how we view each other. And it's he starts off using the word slander, and I bring this up because in our modern litigious society, we tend to view slander in today's legal terms, which means a lie, an untruth. But the word that's used here in the Greek just really means talking negative about other people, including possibly the truth. You call your brother a louse. Your brother may very well be a louse. But does calling him a louse build him up? Does calling him a louse help him in any way when you say that? Or are you building yourself up when you say that? James is talking in these two verses about judging others and how we tend to judge others and how when we're judging others, we're not being humble because we are putting ourselves above others. So I challenge you to read these two verses today and then prayerfully evaluate your life. Are you judging others? And if so, why and what should you do about it? Then the rest of the chapter, the last few verses, are often titled in our Bibles as boasting about tomorrow. And it's not so much literally boasting as much as making plans on our own strength. And when we do that, do we leave God out of the picture? And maybe we do that just because we do, or maybe we do that because we're just not thinking about God, or maybe we just think that God doesn't care enough about us to be concerned about our plans. Or maybe we leave God out of our plans because what we're planning doesn't glorify God. Again, I challenge you to read these verses and then prayerfully evaluate your life in light of what you read and see where you're being humble and where you need to work on this a little bit. It's not easy to be humble. But if we're going to be more like God, then we're going to need to live humbly and to be humble. 
And with God's help and James' directions here, I do believe that we can do just that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are the epitome of humility. Lord Jesus, you left the glories of heaven and you subjected yourself to an earthly life. You limited yourself for our good and for our blessings. And Father, this is how we want to be. This is who we want to be. And we know we cannot do this on our own strength. We cannot do this on our own. So we ask humbly for your help. Help us to see ourselves in a right relationship with you, knowing who we are and where we are in relation to where you are and who you are. Help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to resist the devil. Help us to choose to draw near to you. And help us to repent so that we might truly be your humble children your servants, and we might be more like you for your glory and for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with us?
online we are so glad that you have been here with us and we want to invite you into this time as well we're, we're going to just uh, transition into a time of communion and so hopefully you were able to grab a cup as you came in let's go ahead and pull that out um, and you can go ahead and just pull the top off of that and, and we're going to eat in, in remembrance of, of the body that was broken but before we do that I just want to take a minute um, these past few weeks we've been doing this where uh, well, let's just take a minute to examine our hearts and our minds as, as we move into this time of communion same attitude of, of humility and, and servanthood in our own lives and, and 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't allow our own beliefs, our own um, status, our own money. Lord, I pray that nothing would stand in the way of us taking on the same identity that Jesus took on, and that is a servant, Lord. Change our hearts, Lord. Lord, we need, we need you. So be with us, God. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go and eat in remembrance of the body that was broken. so much for joining us today for worship, whether you were online or in person, we pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week, a wonderful Thanksgiving. If we don't see you till then, again, we won't have services next Thursday night, obviously. Um, so we, we pray that you have uh, just a wonderful holiday. If you could just stay put and uh, that Miss Becca is going to dismiss you. Have a great week.